in a country like India where domestic violence is so normalized we see that parents often hit their children in under the guise that this is the right way to raise them you know only if we hit them will they be disciplined or will they you know know how to do the right things which is so not true but media's influence and a lot of other factors contribute to why this happens specifically in our country on this episode we talk all about domestic violence now i don't want to talk too much because i want you to listen to this episode at full length because there's so much that you can learn from it this episode is in conversation with ami patel who's a counseling psychologist so without further ado let's get right into the episode so on today's episode where we talk about domestic violence ami what is domestic violence and what are the various forms in which domestic violence takes place Uh thanks Simon. So domestic violence or intimate partner violence as we can also call it is a pattern of coercive or abusive behavior in an intimate relationship. It's where the abuser exerts power and control over the victim. And it's most often thought of in the context of intimate partners, but it can also be found in dating relationships or within family dynamics. I think there's a lot of different types of domestic violence or different types of abuse as we call it. The most common that people think about is physical abuse, right? but it's important to note that a person does not have to be physically abused or physically hurt in order to be a victim of domestic violence any one of these categories if someone is experiencing experiencing that in their relationship it would constitute as domestic violence all right mm-hmm. so let me just go through and talk about some of those things so like i said physical abuse is the one that usually comes to mind the bruises or the split lip or the broken bones but it also comes in the form of psychological abuse so in that we include emotional abuse and verbal abuse such mm-hmm. as name calling constant criticism trying to isolate the victim from their friends and family that's something we'll talk about later it also includes stalking harassment threats or even blackmail then also there is sexual abuse so that includes forced or coercive sex that includes recording or sharing of intimate photos or videos without consent or as punishment or revenge for breaking up and things like that. It can also include refusing to use birth control or sabotaging birth control, mm-hmm. right? Then there's mm-hmm. also economic abuse. So economic abuse is is seen when there is controlling of spending of money or controlling the decision making around money in a relationship. That may mm-hmm. include not allowing the partner to work or get an education. And what that does is that really limits their accessibility to support systems and to resources. Also, they may the abusive partner may want may expect their victim to hand over any earnings that they get to them to be controlled. Mm-hmm. There's also now in this day and age, obviously, where technology is so widely used, we also are seeing forms of technological abuse. So that might be uh, restricting or monitoring phone or internet use, hacking into or accessing email or social media accounts. accounts without consent and also sharing on different media platforms pictures or images that are maybe sexual in nature again without consent mm-hmm. all right and then there's legal abuse so that means filing frivolous or dishonest lawsuits that might include using immigration status or the immigration process to maintain control of the victim if the victim is living abroad somewhere mm-hmm. right so those are the main forms of abuse that we would constitute we would say constitutes domestic violence Right, you know, I'm so glad you spoke about emotional and economical abuse because, like, in the world that we live in, I think people are only aware of physical abuse. You know, yes, they don't they they really neglect emotional abuse and just any other kind, uh, any other form of abuse. Because and a lot of people that I talk to, you know, when I tell them that you know uh, abuse, there are other forms of abuse like you know, there's emotional abuse and all, mm-hmm. all of that that you mentioned. And I was like, I wish that you know, I wish other people knew this as well, and not just people like our age, but people even younger than us, and I'd say even older than us. Yes. And usually, what I get told is that you know, oh, it's you know, we only know this because we're privileged. Which okay, I agree, we're privileged, so we know these things, uh-huh. and also because we're educated. I feel like there's nothing wrong in teaching the younger generation this as well, because yes. you know, they need to grow up to be better people. If we grow, if they grow up to be the same same people that you know. probably we were like i'd say many of us didn't have the resources or didn't have the knowledge about these things till we mm-hmm. became of a certain age mm-hmm. why repeat that mistake you know why is it wrong to teach the younger generation these things they oh i and- i think you're absolutely right see education is power right if you yeah. know then you can do so yeah. it's and i think part of the reason that people find themselves in abusive relationships without even realizing that it's abusive is because they're not aware of all these dynamics so yeah. often i'm going to use you know my favorite word which is 
patriarchy. I talk about yeah. it all the time, but that's why domestic violence happens because there has been an assumption of power by one gender over another, right? And so yeah. that's how this abuse gets perpetuated. And then when we bring culture into it, right? When we talk about, if we talk about emotional abuse, for example, right? And if mm -hmm. I have a client who is Indian or South Asian and they tell me this is happening to them and I say, well, that's abuse. Yeah. They might say, no, 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 I, you know, I told so-and-so and they said, Nana, you know, this thing happens, you know, in our culture, we have to understand, we have to manage, you know, they're under a lot of stress and pressure. You can't blame them for, you know, having an outrageous behavior pattern or getting aggressive. It's just stress. It's just stress. Why don't you change? Why don't yeah. you do something to manage the situation better? Right. So mm -hmm. again, the blame and the responsibility is put on the woman yeah. to make it work to make it better, right? And mm -hmm. we talked about that in that in the former podcast about patriarchy and uh, women's mental health, that yeah. it, again, puts the pressure. And that also, it, it sort of reinforces the victim blaming that happens in domestic violence, right? Because oftentimes mm -hmm. when a person says they're being abused, usually what are the questions that are asked? What did you do? Mm -hmm. How did you provoke them? Did you nag them too much? Are you not fulfilling their needs? Yeah. Are you being supportive or understanding of them? Mm -hmm. Right. And so then if even physical violence is excused or, you know, responded with, oh, it's OK, it's you know, it was just a one time thing or, you know, it was just stress. Then, of course, all these other things are not even going to reach that level of understanding of, oh, this is abuse. This is not OK. Right. There's a minimizing yeah. that happens. Right. Yeah. yeah. That, that's very common in our culture, too. You know, instead of like accepting and listening to what someone says, you always like hit them back with counter questions. Right. It's, right. It's, exactly. It's very common. Because hey. I think people are yeah. always looking for a point of blame. Yeah. They yeah. want to know who, whose fault is this? Whose fault is this? Yeah. And it's easier to fall into old patterns and blame usually the female partner mm -hmm. than to actually make the partner who's abusive be accountable for their actions. And also, like, you know, like you said, you know, there's a sort of male privilege that exists. So I, I'm not sure if you've heard this term, but like, you know, whenever someone is living like a very relaxed and a setback life, there's this term that goes like, you know, you're living like a Maharaj. Uh -huh. I have never heard someone say you're living like a Maharani. Obviously, of because... course. And and there's not sort of male privilege. There is male privilege. Yeah, there is. This. Right? Yeah, there is. <laughs> I, I fully accept it. Yeah. Yeah. So absolutely. Absolutely. It's, um, it, it's, I mean, it's just one other example of the double standards that exist in our culture with regards yeah. to gender. Right. So, Ami, in which relationship dynamic does domestic violence most commonly take place and why? So, I will say this, that we see domestic violence most commonly in heterosexual relationships, right? In which the oh. male partner is abusive towards the female partner. Now, oh. before everyone says not all men or men get abused too, I do want to say that, yes, there are also relationships in which the female partner in a heterosexual relationship has been abusive to the male partner. Absolutely, it happens. Mm -hmm. But it happens with far less frequency, yeah. right? Again, because of, I mean, patriarchy, right? It's There is a gender privilege. So mm -hmm. that is really important to point out. But yes, it does happen. And I think men that are in heterosexual relationships are mm -hmm. less likely to ask for help. Again, mm -hmm. because of the toxic masculinity expectation that's perpetuated by society, right? So it was like, oh, I can't ask for help. Yeah. What will people think of me? People will think I'm a pussy or people will think I'm weak. How can I, I'm letting her do this mm -hmm. to me, right? So I think mm -hmm. that they're less likely to seek help. They're less likely to ask for support. And there's more shame around it as well. But uh, for, mm -hmm. for the most part, it happens with a male partner and a female victim. Now, I do want to clarify that it's also seen, domestic violence also takes place or happens in couples within the LGBTQ plus community. But mm -hmm. again, because there's they're already a marginalized population, there is less likelihood for the abused party to seek help, right? They may, you know, the, the person who's being abused in an LGBTQ relationship may not be out publicly or to their families. Mm -hmm. So there's threats of outing them. There's threats of harm. There's lots of reasons, right? That power differential gets perpetuated, but it does happen. We know that it does happen. And yeah. we know that the rates of that happening are also high just because human beings are perpetuating violence. It has nothing to do with gay, straight or not. Right. And also, I want to say that it's we also find aspects of domestic violence and parent child relationships too. basically almost any relationship has the capacity to become abusive because 
all relationships have some degree of power differentials. And it just depends on whether that power differential is exploited by a person in that relationship or not. Right. Also, I want to ask you, do you think that, you know, like you said in the beginning that men usually don't ask for help. Do you mm-hmm. think that's one of the reasons why they seek to control or be controlling in a relationship? In what way would you say? Uh, just controlling of their partner, you know. Let's say the male partner has had like a bad day at work or some something like uh-huh. that. And, uh-huh. you know, and he's angry. Yeah. And he comes home to, you know, and let, let's say his wife asked him to buy something, right? Uh-huh. Uh, he forgets to do that and his wife is upset at, at, at yeah. him, at, at him yeah. as well. Do you think that in this situation, he would shout at the wife because he feels this, this sort of, you know, control and dominance in that relationship? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I think that, okay, that's a great segue because I, I wanted to talk about what are some of the signs to look for to see if someone's abusive. So this is a great segue into that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that it is definitely possible. I think part of maybe part of it is also that, you know, men are not taught as young boys to accept their emotional experiences and to have those emotional experiences validated by their surroundings. So Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of suppression of emotion that happens. And then eventually that emotion has to come out somewhere, right? So I think that's part of it. The other part that's important to note is that abusive behavior is learned behavior. It's modeled somewhere. We don't, we're not born abusive, right? Children are not, babies are not born angry or abusive. They are learning it from somewhere. So it is being modeled somewhere around them. That level of aggression, the level of abuse, the level of treatment given to the people around them. And mm-hmm. so somewhere it's being modeled and it's yeah. being infor- reinforced, mm-hmm. right? So if when you combine not having a place to put those emotions, not having the space to talk about your emotions freely, not being given permission to feel sad or hurt or disappointed or upset as a child, eventually, Mm -hmm. yes, uh, combined with perhaps witnessing unhealthy dynamics or unhealthy relationships around you, yes, they may lead to an adult male Mm -hmm. then not being able to handle emotions in a healthy way and therefore taking it out on someone that's around them that's immediately around them yeah. right but i also want to clarify that that doesn't remove accountability mm-hmm. as an ad- i mean we can we can all go through things as children and we can be impacted by them into adulthood but when we become adults we're also responsible for our own behavior we're also mm. responsible for the choices that we make and how we treat people and so we do have to take accountability for that, yeah. right? So it's not fair to say, well, I'm abusive because my father was abusive and that's what I saw and that's what I learned. Yep, that mm-hmm. probably happened. But mm-hmm. now you're an adult and you can choose to do things differently. Yeah. It's not an excuse. It might be an explanation, but it's not an excuse, right? Mm-hmm. And then as we talk about that, I want to talk a little bit more about how to look for, like, what are some of the signs that you can look for to know that someone has the capacity to be abusive? And I think this is one of the most important pieces of information that people need to know. anyone. I'm not talking about a specific gender. I'm just saying everyone should know this, right? One of the most telling signs is controlling behavior. So a person that uses love to justify checking up on their partner, checking their phone or social media accounts, who's following them now, who are new followers, you know, whose comments or posts have they liked, you know, then they also may control how to dress or who to talk to. And it doesn't start out with don't wear that. It starts Mm -hmm. out with, oh, you're wearing that? Yeah. Um, I just think the other thing would look so much better. I mean, I'm only saying this because I love you. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying this because I care. I don't want people to laugh at you, right? Mm -hmm. Or checking on them and justifying it by saying, I mean, I'm just really worried about you. So I want to know, when did you get home? When did you leave? Who were you talking to, right? And then the controlling behavior even like comes into play when there's repeated phone calls. Why didn't you answer my phone? I called you. You know, there are people that will say, I have to pick up every call that comes from my partner. Or if I don't pick up that call, I know that there's going to be hell to pay. Yeah. Right. They have to respond to every text. Some even have to do like video calls to prove Mm -hmm. that they are where they say they are. Yeah. That is not healthy. That is not love. That is control. Right. Mm -hmm. And another part of it is excessive jealousy. So again, abusive partners will say it's a sign of how much they love their partner. And that's why they're so jealous. But Mm -hmm. actually jealousy is about insecurity, possessiveness, and lack of trust. Meaning, The abusive partner sees their partner as their belonging, as Mm -hmm. theirs, not as an individual person, right? And therefore justifies this jealous behavior. Something else is quick involvement. Someone who wants to rush into a relationship, someone who comes on really strong. 
I think there's a phrase nowadays that a lot of uh, people use called love bombing. Mm -hmm. And that's similar to this using language in real absolutes, meaning, you know, you're the only one for me. I've never loved anyone the way I've loved you. I can't be without you. And it seems charming. Initially, it seems like, oh, my God, he really cares. Or, oh, my God, this person really cares for me. But if you are to engage in a healthy relationship, it needs to take time right? Mm -hmm. You cannot force someone or coerce someone into jumping into something that they don't feel comfortable doing. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think maybe another word for this category is also like red flags, because I yeah. think these are, this is exactly what they are. You know, these are red yeah. flags. Another one is unrealistic expectations. So someone who expects their partner to be perfect, or someone to meet all of their needs. Now that is not possible. No mm -hmm. one can meet all of the needs of another person. And obviously no one is perfect. No mm -hmm. one, right? Yeah. No. And so therefore, when you expect that, obviously that person will always find something wrong with their, their partner, right? You're not mm -hmm. doing this right. You're not doing that right. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? So then the abused partner will go around trying to finish everything, trying to change everything that that partner says, right? Mm -hmm. They may go ahead and change a hundred things, but that, that abusive partner will find another one to mm -hmm. poke and to prod at because it's not about the person who's being abused, right? It's about the abuser who is unable to be satisfied because their expectations are so unrealistic. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. Another um, really important mm -hmm. one is isolation. So what happens oftentimes is the abusive partner will try to separate their victim by putting down friends, by putting down family members, or by claiming that they've, you know, they've been victimized by them. Oh, you don't know how that person treats me when you're not around. I don't feel comfortable around them. Why do you want to spend so much time with them? Or why are you spending so much time with your family? You know, you don't even have any time for me. How do you think I feel? Or, you know, that friend, people think that she's like a slut. So, you know, if you spend so much time with her, people are going to start thinking that about you too. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's a very subversive behavior pattern. But it's mm -hmm. there and it's important to sort of know what to look for. Another really important one is a person who is abusive it's, is always blaming other people for their actions, other yeah. people for their feelings. They're always pointing the finger at someone else, right? You mm -hmm. made me angry. Look what you made me do. If you hadn't said something, then I wouldn't have done this, mm -hmm. etc. And then also there's a level of hypersensitivity, right? They take things very personally, anything. And it's like, oh, you think I'm like this? Oh, look what that person said to me. Oh, do you see how that person treats me? Mm -hmm. Even though it's not focused on them, their perception is that everything is a personal attack, right? Another very sort of basic one is cruelty to animals or children. Obviously, if they can be cruel or harmful to animals or children, there's no big gap in translating that harm to an adult partner. Any type of playful use of force during sex Again, without consent and then playing it off as a joke. Oh, like some partners will like try to choke a partner mm -hmm. or try to hold them down during sex in a way that's not comfortable for the other partner. And then we'll play it off as a joke. Oh, I was just joking. God, yeah. you're so sensitive, right? Mm -hmm. And then verbal abuse, obviously saying harmful things, calling them names, degrading them, putting them down, putting their accomplishments down. And they can do this either privately or even, okay. And then someone who also has severe mood swings or explosiveness. A lot of times we call that the, like the, the, the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde type of personality. You know, there's a sudden change in mood. For a minute, they were just fine. Everything was great. And then all of a sudden, without explanation, without reason, they're just really, really angry or really aggressive. And a lot of people who are abusive are often mislabeled or misunderstood as having bipolar disorder. I hear this all the time when people describe yeah. their abusive partners say, oh my God, he's so bipolar. I just don't understand him. No, mm -hmm. bipolar disorder is a significant and serious mental health issue. Abusive behavior is not a mental health issue. Abusive mm -hmm. behavior is a choice that someone is engaging in. It's really important to remember that. And then also a past history of abuse. Now, very few abusive people are going to come out and tell their new partners, yeah, I was abusive to my ex. I used mm -hmm. to hit my ex or I used to put her down, right? People mm -hmm. are going to say that. But there is a, a trope that I hear very, very often from people who have the tendency to be abusive. There's mm -hmm. always this story or history of an, a crazy ex-girlfriend. Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh, my God. My ex was crazy. My ex was crazy. I have found, so I don't have a study obviously to prove this, but in my experience, in my, in my 20 years of working in gender violence work, the majority of the time that, it, that a person talks about their crazy ex-girlfriend or their crazy ex, it's usually they were abusive and the person obviously was responding to that abuse or reacting to that abuse. And it's easier to label someone as crazy than to acknowledge that they've been abusive. 
Yeah. Right. And remember, if they have engaged in any form of abuse in a past relationship, they'll do it again. If they've done it once, they're definitely capable of doing it again. It's yeah. just a matter of time and mm -hmm. circumstance. Right. And then the last one is using threats or violence. So restraining someone from leaving a room during an argument, pushing someone down, or even I've, I've seen this happen in some of my clients experiences that the partner will break objects as a form of intimidation, mm -hmm. right? Or they'll throw objects, but won't hit the person, but they'll hit the wall near them, or mm -hmm. they'll break objects that have sentimental value to the victim, right? Mm -hmm. And that's a massive uh, intimidation factor. Mm -hmm. Okay, so those are the those are the red flags that I would say I think I, I named off like 12 or 13 of them. And uh -huh. usually the idea is that if someone checks off three boxes, minimum three boxes or more, they're probably abusive or have the potential mm -hmm. to be abusive. And so it's something that you really want to be on the lookout for. Yeah. And also, like, you know, you spoke about unrealistic expectations. Uh huh. <clears throat> I also feel like expecting too much support from your partner is also harmful. Like, you know, you can't expect your partner to support everything that you do because sometimes Absolutely. their thoughts and ideas may not be in line with yours. Mm -hmm. So you can't sort of expect them to alter their reality to match yours. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Because also remember in a relationship, the two people are not clones of each other. Yeah. Right. That's they have, true. they have their own upbringings and experiences and personalities and genetics they yeah. are their own individual entity so you are not going to agree on everything it's not possible right yeah. and also there's this other red flag of like i've seen this happen where the uh, one partner will expect the other partner to like drop all their friends or stop hanging out with their friends mm -hmm. and only spend time with them that's also incredibly unhealthy right there's this sort of myth the very romanticized myth of like, oh, we are two halves of a whole. No, no, no. Everyone is an individual person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You cannot expect somebody else to quote unquote complete you or completely understand you or completely agree with you. That's simply not possible. It's not realistic, right? And also, yeah, and also there's a saying, you know, that uh, this is mostly for married people, right? People keep saying that even though the whole world is against me, I know my wife will be with me. I feel like, mm -hmm. That's too generalized. Like, I think sometimes you may be wrong and your wife may not want to support you. She's probably, you know, obliged mm -hmm. by society and mm -hmm. also like, you know, uh, how she's been raised. Like probably, like, you know, like you've spoken about before, women are raised in a way to, you know, think that men are the superior gender, you know, that's what they've been conditioned to think that way because they've seen it all their life. Like, yeah. And know. to blindly support their partner. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So even if they don't want to, they're kind of forcing themselves to, which yeah. is not right. I feel like yeah. that's not right. And I think also the way that that dialogue that you said, it's very filmy, right? It's very like, great. Maybe in some alternate universe where reality isn't real, yeah. <laughs> that might be true. <laughs> but um, but it's not. That's not possible. You cannot expect that. Yeah, not at all. And also mm -hmm. another thing, I feel like some people try to discount abuse on the name of mental health. Like, yes. they'll be like, oh, I have these mental health problems. And so, you know, I was this way. And uh -huh. also, like, some people will be like, you know, I'm very dependent on you because I have daddy issues or I have mommy issues. I feel like those are not reasons to, you know, they, they you can't discount bad behavior for those reasons at all. Right, right. Absolutely. And so we're going to get into that a little later in terms of why are people abusive or what causes people to be abusive? And we'll talk mm -hmm. a little bit more about that because I think that's a really important discussion point. Yeah. Right. So, you know, you also spoke about like how people are often, you know, even scolded at for leaving the room during an argument. I feel like, I don't know if you've noticed this, but like a lot of times, you know, you'll see it everywhere in real life on television. But like when two people are having an argument and one of them wants to leave, there's always going to be the other one saying that, no, stay here and finish talking mm -hmm. and only mm -hmm. then leave. Yeah. That's really toxic. Like sometimes I think the conversation can get really overwhelming. And yeah. the person may want to leave or has to leave because staying there is just going to make it worse. Absolutely. Also, I think alongside it, there's, um, I hear so often people say, don't go to bed angry. Yeah. Right. Uh, or always kiss and make up before you go to bed. But that's not always possible. Like sometimes you need space to sort of think about what happened and think about how you want to process this experience and then continue the discussion at another time. But mm -hmm. if someone is choosing to leave so that the discussion or the argument doesn't escalate further, mm -hmm. that's absolutely a healthy step. And it's important yeah. for the other, the other person, sorry, to uh, respect that. Mm -hmm. 
you cannot force someone to stay and argue it out, For right? Sure. That's also unhealthy. So I think actually that leads us into what I want to talk about next, which is how how does this sort of happen, right? So mm-hmm. it's important to know that physical violence or even extreme psychological abuse or other forms of abuse rarely happens right away, right? There's usually a buildup to this. And the buildup happens by using tactics from other categories of abuse. So it's like, you know, slowly, slowly, it starts off like when you're getting to know somebody, you start to open up to them, you might start to talk to them about things that are really personal or that are really intense. And especially when there's points of painful experiences or traumas that people want to share with their new partners. And then that partner might say, Oh, my God, I'm so sorry, you went through this, you know, I would never do that to you. Right. Mm -hmm. So then that builds a certain level of trust, a certain level of expectation. And then eventually what might happen, and then slowly, slowly, it will start out with like, oh, you're wearing this. No, you know, why don't you wear the other thing? It looks so much better on you. Or, oh, you're doing that. No, why don't you do this? You know, I think that this would be much better for you. And these are controlling behaviors, but they're very subtle, right? Because the language is not harsh. The the communication of it is not intense. So it feels very subtle. And then eventually that grows over time. And then there might be an instance where there's an argument happening. And then that very thing, that was shared, that point of vulnerability and pain that was shared is mm-hmm. thrown in their face. Oh, well, yeah. no wonder your your father was like this, or no wonder your mother was like this to you. Look yeah. how you are. Or no wonder your ex broke up with you. Who would want to be with a person like that? Mm-hmm. Right? And so what happens is there is a, a slow sort of breakdown of that person. Mm-hmm. Right? And so then it becomes very like, um, it becomes very pervasive. It becomes very difficult to even pinpoint at times because there might be a part of part of you that thinks like wait a minute that's not right that was really hurtful how could you do that oh I mean I didn't mean it you know I was just angry and you know you said something so ridiculous and I I just reacted you know how I am I'm so sorry I didn't mean it (laughs) right so there's that backpedaling and so it starts so eventually this stuff continues and then I know there's another term that gets used so often these days it's called gaslighting right where it's like the uh, emotional manipulation there's a crazy making that happens like an abusive person will try to convince the uh, other victim that she's crazy that I never said this I never did that you're imagining things what's wrong with you (laughs) right no wonder people no wonder so-and-so doesn't like you no wonder so-and-so left you So it is a way to create control because what's happening is there's an emotional distance that gets created between existing support systems. And then they step in to make them to make the victim feel like I do. You know what? Don't worry. I have you. Nobody else is there. I have you. Nobody else Mm -hmm. understands you. I understand you. Right. So it's a very subtle and very pervasive sort of experience that happens. And to the outside world, you know, people who are actually abusive to their partners, to the outside world, they're like Mr. Nice Guy. When yeah. people find out that the, so-and-so is abusive, like, no way, him? He's such a nice guy. Mm-hmm. Or, oh my God, I always see him with his kids. He's so nice to everybody, mm-hmm. right? Because abusive people, that's the way that they get away with it. Because to the outside world, they create a certain facade. So that, and they say, now, oftentimes when abuse gets uh, escalated, they'll say to their, their victim, Who's going to believe you? Go ahead. Yeah. Tell people who's going to believe you, right? Yeah. You're yeah, the one cool. that's having outbursts. You're the one that's doing this. Who's going to believe that I'm, I'm abusive, mm-hmm. right? It's a complete gaslighting and denial that happens. And so what happens, what we see uh, in um, the cycle of violence is that oftentimes if things are fine, you know, things are going fine. And then eventually the tension will start to build. So, you know, that person is upset. The people describe walking on eggshells around their partner because I don't know when he's going to explode or I don't know when something will happen. So I have to just be careful and sort of, you know, keep track of the mood and keep track of the responses to know, okay, he might explode or he might say something. So that keeps going on for a while. And that becomes a very stressful phase, right? Because the other person is constantly on edge. Will it happen? Won't it happen? When will it happen? How will it happen? Etc. Then eventually there's an incident. There might be a physically abusive incident, a sexually abusive incident, or a psychologically abusive incident. Mm-hmm. And that's when the victim may decide, you know what? I'm leaving. I'm done. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about just marriage. I'm even talking about dating relationships. I'm done. I, I cannot do this. I cannot take this. I'm done. So then the honeymoon phase begins. Baby, I'm so sorry. You know, I yeah. love you. Don't leave me. I can't live without you. Nobody, nobody loves me the way I, you know, you love me. How can I do this without you? You have to stay. 
I'm so sorry. I promise I won't do this again. I don't know what happened to me. You know how much stress I've been under. I promise I I won't do this again. Right? Yeah. So then the the uh, victim agrees. Oh, TK, fine. We'll try again. Mm-hmm. Now it's important to note that a person in an in an abusive relationship may try anywhere uh, on the average up to seven times to leave and come back and leave and come back. And it's not somebody doesn't stay because they like it. They don't stay because they deserve it. Mm-hmm. They stay because it's really difficult to leave sometimes, right? And we'll get into why it's so difficult to leave in a little while. Yeah. But um, people leave and come back on the average of seven times mm-hmm. before they're finally able to leave. And so the, the, the key takeaway here is that it starts very, very subtly and it builds over time. And also... Obviously, because if they just, you know, on the first date, second date, whatever, if someone hits a person, who's going to continue? No one would. Mm-hmm. Right. So the idea is, how do you maintain control, long term control? You have to lure them in slowly. And usually we see that when there are commitments, like levels of commitments, obvious, um, oftentimes the abuse will get worse. So a, a couple is dating and then they get committed and then there might be an incident of abuse. But the idea is that or like after engagement, there might be uh, the abuse may begin. For many, many people, it's marriage. Often even the marriage night or the first day after marriage, there's abuse. Because the idea is now she's here, where is she going to go? And especially when you add culture into it, the more the level of commitment that takes place, the harder it is to leave, right? Because then there's all sorts of disappointment and there's all sorts of guilt and shame what will happen to the family how will my family look if i do this what will happen to my younger siblings if there's a broken engagement or you know whatnot mm-hmm. so it becomes really harder so uh, the degree of abuse steps up with every level of commitment mm-hmm. we know that actually during pregnant people who are in very abusive relationships pregnancy is often the most unsafe time that can happen because again abuse is about power and control so during pregnancy, there are so many factors that are out of their control, mm-hmm. right? And so a woman is, is generally uh, in most danger during pregnancy. Right. So Ami, why, why do you think it's difficult to leave an abusive relationship? I think there's so many factors that go into, go into this question, right? One, mm-hmm. it, the biggest, one of the biggest ones, um, I mean, they're all big, but one of the biggest ones is social, cultural, and family pressure on the woman mm-hmm. to stay in the marriage and make it work. And I think, you know, in our culture, in many cultures, but I'll, speci- I'll specifically talk about our culture, it's so difficult, right? Because it's about family honor. It's about saving face. It's about what will people think? What yeah. will happen to my siblings? And their, you know, what will happen to their prospects if, if this happens? So there is a huge sort of shroud of pressure from, from culture and family to stay in an abusive relationship to make it work mm-hmm. and and just figure it out right a lot of women are told in our culture you're not coming home you're not yeah. coming home so you figure it out but you're not coming home yeah right? always, yeah yeah o- oftentimes I, I i've heard that uh, being mm-hmm. said that and also even her family will say what did you do yeah why don't you be more understanding why can't you compromise more why can't you adjust you know women are expected to be bloody gymnasts no be so flexible and so adjusting that they have to do gymnastics to make a relationship work or that's what they're expected to do. Um, So I think that's the biggest one. The other thing is that oftentimes the the emotional abuse that almost always is there, it has hurt self-esteem and confidence to such a level that they feel they won't be able to survive outside of the relationship. And on top of that, oftentimes the abusive partner will say, who's going to want you? Who's going to want you? You should feel lucky that I, that I'm, I'm, you're here. Yeah. Right. And also, I think that that uh, that emotional abuse, see, I've heard from uh, people that I've worked with that physical abuse is obviously painful. It's difficult. It's harmful. There are scars. But the physical abuse scars fade over time. But uh, victims will often say that the emotional ones, they don't. They get imprinted on your brain. The name calling, the constant put downs, the insults, the humiliation, the threats. It doesn't go away so easily. It's very, Mm -hmm. very difficult to overcome that. And the third thing that I would say why it's difficult to leave is something that you brought up, right? A lot of people don't even realize that the relationship is abusive, especially if it has not accelerated to physical abuse. Mm -hmm. They don't even realize it is, right? Because they've never been told what are some of the signs of abuse? What are, they lack the education and information around this subject to even understand what it is. And also certain unhealthy dynamics of a relationship are 
I think normalized by society. Are this happens to everybody? What's the big deal? Mm-hmm. Right? There is a certain normalization of unhealthy relationship dynamics that happens. Yeah. So it what it does is it creates the uh, person to really question their own judgment. Oh, maybe mm-hmm. it's not a big deal. Maybe mm-hmm. I should just deal with it, right? Yeah. I think a big one in our culture, especially given the fact that our culture and patriarchy oftentimes doesn't allow the woman to be financially independent or doesn't allow her to work or even access education, higher level of education, is financial mm-hmm. dependence. There's financial yeah. dependence on the male partner. And again, our culture says that daughters are a burden. So mm-hmm. if she has to go back to her parents, are, now her yeah. parents have to take responsibility again. Right? So that that financial, the lack of financial dependence, uh, independence plays a big role in difficulty leaving an abusive relationship. Obviously, lack of social support, because if the partner has done such a good job of isolating her from her friends and family, then who does she have to turn to? Yeah. Oftentimes, what will happen is, like I said, you know, a, a person may try to leave and return multiple times. After a while, friends who don't understand the dynamics of the abuse, who don't actually understand how difficult it is, will be like, yeah, I'm tired of listening to your story. Mm-hmm. Either leave or don't. But I'm yeah. done now. Right? And that's like that only further serves to isolate that person because what they need is support. Yeah. What they need is that. And friends feel like, well, I gave you advice. You didn't listen to me. Now why should I help? You? Mm-hmm. Right? So friends or family make it about them. Selves. Yeah. So that's why it's important to seek outside outside help. But we'll talk about that later as well. The other thing is fear of leaving. I think this is a really important one that we should address because we, we don't talk about it enough. Oftentimes, a woman will be threatened if she tries to leave an abusive relationship. <laughs> so sometimes it's simply too dangerous. And we see this happen often. I'm, there was a case recently in the U.S. where there was a Pakistani-American woman who got divorced and left. And the partner came and found her and on the pretext of trying to work out their relationship, even though they were already divorced, and ended up killing her and then killing himself. And I would say that the majority of murder-suicides that you may see probably have an underlying threat of domestic violence. Again, if you think about power and control, this is about power and control. When she leaves, he loses power and control, which feels intolerable. So it's like, you know, the idea of like, if I can't have you, no one else can. I'll Mm -hmm. show you. You think you're going to leave me? I'll show you. (laughs) Sometimes even the abusive partner will kill the children because they know there's no better way to hurt her than by hurting the children. So they might hurt the children and then hurt her, or they might hurt the children and then kill themselves. Mm -hmm. And so it is when someone says, I am scared, it is a viable, viable emotion. Yes, I'm sure that they're scared. Mm -hmm. And that fear is enough. And remember, lethality or the idea that the, the degree to which there might be violence increases when a woman the two most important times are when she's pregnant and when she is preparing to leave or when she's left because again it's about loss of power and control right hope i think is something that we don't talk about enough the hope that he'll change because there's promises after fights i'll change i promise i'll do it differently i promise this won't happen again right and that hope is there also perpetuated by the idea that if i change he'll change I keep trying and he'll change. If I do more, he'll change, right? So that also keeps people in abusive relationships. And also the shame, the guilt, the sense of responsibility. Because like I said before, when we were talking about signs of an abusive person, she's always blamed for the abuse. Look what you made me do. You did this. If you had just listened to my parents, why are you bringing up things? Why are you constantly nagging? You're the one who's making me do this. It's your fault. (laughs) And that also gets internalized, right? So yeah, I'm to blame. And society tells her it's her fault and people around her tell her it's her fault. So huh, it must be my fault, right? Yeah, yeah. And then I think, especially in our culture, the biggest, one of the biggest reasons why it's difficult to leave is the children. We're told constantly, don't break up the family. Don't break up the family. What will the children do? The children, you can't, you know, keep the children in a broken home. How will they survive? How will they grow up? What will people think? Even to the point of how will they get marriage prospects if they're coming from a broken home? <laughs> right yeah. but what people don't understand that it is healthier for a child to grow up with a parent two single parents who are happy than two parents together that are unhappy <laughs> children are learning right children are learning that this is acceptable behavior so girls who grow up in homes where there is violence grow up thinking that this is part of love that this <laughs> is how relationships are 
And yeah. boys who grow up in homes where there is domestic violence will often go on to repeat that behavior in their own relationships. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I feel like you know a lot of people after hearing this, and I also feel like even in general, people will be like, okay, you know, if you want to break these patterns, stop huh. conforming to the societal norms, right? Mm-hmm. Which, I, which all this while I thought like, yeah, that is the right way to go. But I think what people don't understand is with conformity also comes, you know, sacrifice, which is really unfortunate. Like, let's say yeah. I'll give you the most common example. In Indian households, people usually believe that the wife should be making tea for the husband, right? Whenever he comes home from work or okay. in the morning or whatever. Mm-hmm. And let's just say one day the wife just doesn't want to or she just, she just says no, right? So uh-huh. she's not conforming to, you know, what the societal norms are. Huh. What people don't understand is that with that comes like, you know, the sacrifice, which is basically the husband getting angry at the wife, which is a form of abuse, you know, of uh, course. maybe he'll stop talking to her or maybe he'll shout at her or, you mm-hmm. know, in some cases, like, you know, I'd say in slum areas, I'd say more specifically is from what I've seen is that, you know, the husband usually beats the wife for these kind of things, for these kind of things. So I don't think, I, you know, I just want to say, Aman, I, I don't think it's slummers because we often associate domestic violence, especially physical violence, with uh-huh. people of lower socioeconomic status. Uh-huh. And I that's a myth. I okay, think that yeah. people, when it happens in homes where there is the privilege of money and resources, it just gets covered up better. Yeah. Or you can access resources better. Mm-hmm. Right? So yeah. I think it's really important not to sort of play into that myth. It happens in middle class households. It happens in upper class households. It happens in very affluent households. Yeah. It just it just looks different on the outside. That's all. Okay. Yeah. yeah you know. Fair. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, yeah. I agree. But in general, so basically, what I'm saying is that you know, not conforming to these societal norms mm-hmm. is also like you know, really scary because it's not yes. that easy. Well, also, there's a threat of losing social support if you don't conform, right? Yeah. Yeah. That. Too. Like, what people will turn against you? Oh, she's so this. No, she. Who does she think she is? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right. Uh, yeah, and it also like breaks your confidence in a way. Like, imagine, uh, you know, tomorrow, you're seeing that every second person is against you, even though yeah. you know you may be right. It of course breaks you from inside. Of course, of course, because it's like if a hundred people are thinking that I'm wrong, then maybe I am wrong. Probably. Right. Even though, yeah, it, even yeah. Even though maybe deep down you feel like, but what did I do? I didn't mm-hmm. do anything, right? Mm-hmm. Because the thing is that, like, if like for your example, the tea thing, not that she. Maybe she's not even making an active effort, like a social activism effort to like, I don't want to conform anymore to social norms. Maybe she's just tired. Maybe she doesn't feel like it. Maybe she's busy with her kids. Maybe she's talking to her friends. Maybe she doesn't want to. Yeah. yeah. Right. Maybe she's unwell. But the idea is the the point of sacrifice that you're talking about. Yes. Is that is it. But her needs don't matter or shouldn't Mm -hmm. matter as much as his. And that's the underlying thing here right yeah. it's about who has the power and control and mm-hmm. in in more conservative spaces or families it's usually mm-hmm. the men even in families that might consider themselves progressive right they might be more affluent but if the mentality hasn't changed even in those families the expectation is that the woman or the wife will finish her household duties and her duties towards her in-laws and then go to work if she wants to mm-hmm. right yeah. so there is a certain and if that doesn't happen then there's also uh, and there's also a uh, domestic violence also includes abuse from in-laws. Now we should not, we should not um, be remiss in, in, in not mentioning that that's important Yeah, that that also happens. And I think that, you know, obviously when we talk about culture and domestic violence, we have to understand that we're talking about, you know, centuries of these beliefs getting perpetuated over and over again. So yes, when we want to break the patterns, it's not just about, it's about first understanding that, that this is a pattern in the first place, that, that, that just because it's been happening this way doesn't mean it's right. And also understanding that there's a name for this. This is not just, huh, this is how marriage is, or this is how relationships are, or this is how men are, because not all men are abusive. That's mm-hmm. absolutely true, right? Mm-hmm. There are many, many male partners that are very, very supportive and respectful and understanding and genuinely engaged in partnership, mm-hmm. right? So we can't say that, oh, this is, because some people do buck patriarchy, right? Even in our yes. culture, many people buck patriarchy and say, no, 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 this is important or nope, this is not acceptable behavior. I will not ever speak this way to my partner or I will never do this or lift a finger to my partner. Yeah. So we can't, I think people use culture when it's, when it's convenient Yeah. because it perpetuates a power dynamic that works for them. Why, if a, a particular power dynamic 
is working for me. Why would I question it? Why would I challenge it? It's working for me, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And for yeah. women, they get this. They get this patriarchy and patriarchal concept so internalized that they also feel it, right? So they'll yeah. also take their son's side when he's abusing his wife. Haha, mm-hmm. uh-huh. you know she's like this. She's like this. What does she expect, right? Yeah. Sometimes the the woman will also engage in the abuse herself. Mm-hmm. Because it's so deeply internalized within her, yeah. and there was no space for her to challenge it. So now it's like, well, it's your now. You do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where is the where is the wrong in this? Of course, ऐसा होना चाहिए. Yeah. Right. So I think that's I think that's also um, important. And I think that oftentimes we don't understand how this all impacts people. I mean, experiencing abuse, whether it's psychological or emotional or financial or physical or sexual, it has such a huge impact on mm-hmm. victims, right? I mean, for example, marital rape is not criminalized in this country. Yeah. There are many, many people who feel, yes, she's my ri- wife. It's my right. Imagine, and I've had many clients that have experienced this. And until we talk about it, they don't even realize that, oh, they yeah. were raped constantly or consistently. Right, mm-hmm. because they've just been made to believe I have to, I have to just—it's my duty yeah. to just do what my husband wants and says, mm-hmm. you know. And so what happens is there's a certain level of hopelessness that develops, right? Like I, this is just how it is. There's a powerlessness that develops. Like this is just how it is. What, what is the point of fighting it? Nothing's going to change, mm-hmm. right? And all that emotional abuse and physical abuse also leads to really poor self-esteem. Loss of confidence, not even feeling like they can create change or or do differently because they've been so systematically broken down over time that it's so hard to even imagine being able to get out of it or being able to survive on their own. And also, there's a fear of the unknown. And like, at least this is like the devil I know. What if I leave? And then what will happen? What if I can't yeah. survive? What if something else happens? Yeah, yeah. Right? They often, you know, victims often feel very unworthy. Alongside feeling that their self worth has really taken a hit, they also feel really scared and apprehensive about the future. When they mm-hmm. when they experience constant, you know, abuse in a relationship, they feel unmotivated. They feel insecure, and often will experience mental health issues like anxiety, depression, as well as PTSD. Things like nightmares and flashbacks and intrusive thoughts about the abuse, even to the point where they might experience suicidal attempts at self harm because it's mm-hmm. so unbearable. The pain and、yeah. the and the harm. Some may choose to use alcohol or drugs to cope with the pain, right? And when I say pain, I'm not talking about just physical pain, right? I'm talking about emotional and psychological pain. Yeah. That constant being put down, that constant being questioned and controlled, that that is not sustainable. That's not viable for long periods of time, right? Anyone would、uh, be impacted in a in a really really、uh, negative way. And I think that obviously, if this goes untreated or unaddressed, there are lifelong impacts on people、yeah. that have survived this. Yeah, and I also feel like we, as like as society, we、uh-huh. live too much for others than we for ourselves. Yes. But then that also has me thinking sometimes that it's kind of I mean it it we should live for ourselves, right? But as society, we made it such an unsafe space for people to live for themselves. Yes, that's almost scary to kind of you know do your own thing. Like, absolutely, you know, yes, absolutely. That's what I meant by the fear of the unknown, right? What will、yeah. happen? What will people say? What will people think? Yeah. How will my family react? What will my friends say? I will say the 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 clients that I've had that have had difficulty leaving the abusive relationship, it's mostly because there's lack of support even from their own family. <laughs> right, and there's a a fear, fear of consequences. What will People say about my family, about how their daughter is. What will people say about me? You know, what will people think that I I couldn't do this or I you know I, I I took this step? And the people that have been able to leave, it's because they've had family and social support.、Mm-hmm. That's the primary reason. Yeah, and also in India, I, I more specifically, Indian men can never take no for an answer, which is the root cause of most problems. You know, it, I think it kind of hurts their ego. Yeah, well, it's connected to entitlement. Then there's a, there's、yeah. a sense of entitlement and privilege. Like, huh? Why not? Yeah. Why? Why yeah. should I? Right.、Uh, yeah, they feel like they're on top of the world. Huh? Which is well, but they've the been.、Case. But but see, the thing is, is that it's been given to them. Yeah, culture and、huh. society dictates that. Yeah, of course you should. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right. Yeah. Fair enough. Right. So, I mean, you know, we spoke about how in abusive relationships, the pe- partner most they're mostly asked to think about their children, right? 
So what are the emotional outcomes of a child witnessing domestic violence, you know, uh, between their parents? Yeah, this is a really good question. It's a really important point to discuss, especially in a culture where children, are, uh, women are made to feel like the biggest disservice they would do to their children is to quote unquote break the home and separate mm-hmm. from their abusive partner. Whether whether children witness the abuse directly or experience the abuse, it obviously can take a toll on their emotional and psychological development, right? It's mm-hmm. um, and also I think it's important to remember that you know a lot of times people will say like no 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 but you know our fights happened when the child was asleep or when the child was at school or the child was in another room they they were not there to see it but children are not stupid and they're very perceptive. So so they can hear things. They can hear fights happening. They can hear arguments and loud, aggressive incidents happening. Also, they they can feel tension, right? When a child, when there's tension at home, a child can tell something is not right. Something does not feel good. Something mm-hmm. feels unsafe. Or they may see, they may see injuries on the, their parent. They may feel and hear the grandparents being aggressive or one uh, or their their father giving a silent treatment to the mother or vice versa so those things are are there and are seen even if the violence itself or the abuse of uh, the abuse itself is not seen right and also they are at risk for emotional behavior problems so we see a lot of times children who grow up in homes that are abusive will often act out in school they make aggressive in school because they're modeling the behavior that they've seen right they may have difficult difficulty with um, academic work they may have difficulty concentrating on on tasks or assignments difficulty uh, uh, focusing their grades may fall they may show increased aggression either in the home towards younger siblings or at school with classmates they also may show to be more fearful or anxious because they know something is wrong but they don't know what's wrong right that unpredictability also has an impact on them Mm-hmm. And they may show symptoms of anxiety and depression as a result. Yeah. Right? yeah. Also, in the beginning, you spoke about how you know children model abusive behavior. Mm-hmm. A lot of I I I see it very often. You know that partners who are emotionally abusive, mm-hmm. they kind of use it as an excuse to you know to sort of I'd say they they rationalize their abusive behavior by mm-hmm. saying that oh you know I've learned it from so and so person. Yeah. Or, yeah. And I also feel like media is like a propelling factor here. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know if you watch a lot of these rom-coms and all of that, but a lot of these new rom-coms, it's like very uh-huh. common in these shows that where they show that being insecure is like a good thing or, uh-huh. you know, love bombing someone like you spoke about, like, you know, saying, yeah. uh, here's the thing, right? I'd like to put it this way. I feel like also like making someone your entire world and not part of your world, I feel like mm-hmm. even that's abusive because like, yeah. You can't center everything around that one person because I think it burdens them also in some way. Absolutely. Well, that's what we talked about, right? Like it, yeah. it's it, it's not making someone your whole world is not abusive, but it's definitely unhealthy and it has the potential to become abusive when those expectations aren't met because yeah. they can't be met, right? Like, and I think um, I, I, it's also important to point out that, you know, children who are bullies at school. So yeah. we know that bullies, again, bullying is a form of aggressive behavior that's learned from somewhere whether it's learned from seeing it in their homes, whether they're being bullied by an older sibling, so then they're taking it out on other people at school, whether they're watching media that's highly aggressive and it's coming out. But aggressive behavior is learned, whether you're an adult or you're a child. The only difference is as a child, it's hard to blame them. They need help, but you can't blame them. But as an adult, you're fully accountable and responsible for your actions and choices. Yeah. So you can't. You can't say, well, I grew up like this, so that's why I'm like this. Fine, maybe. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't make it okay, right? Yeah, yeah. I, so yeah. yeah, blaming is really common in India. You know, no one takes accountability. It's all. I don't pointing. think it's just India. In that sense, I would say I would extrapolate it to a global. I think people have a hard time accepting their mistakes. People mm-hmm. have a hard time acknowledging that they've done something wrong, and oftentimes people may not want to put in the effort to change those negative behaviors. Right? Sure. Change yeah. is possible, but it it takes a lot of effort. And also, like another thing is like you know, I watch a lot of these Indian television shows, right? Uh-huh. Like Crime Patrol, and also I I see like very often in those shows the husband is like coming home drunk and you know uh-huh. beating the wife. Mm-hmm. Do you think that? Of course, these shows do it to spread awareness about you know these hate crimes and that they shouldn't be done. But huh. like in the show, you'll see that the husband is really proud of what he's done. Hmm. Do you think this is a propelling factor for domestic violence? amongst uneducated people like people who can't gauge the the uh, idea of the show like say the idea is like i said you know it's to stop these things from happening 
but mm-hmm. in in the episode you know the character is seen kind of you know being being proud of what he or she is doing yeah so i i think that it it's not i think it certainly perpetuates that rationalization right like it certainly makes things excusable mm-hmm. but if we're going to talk about why a person is abusive I think it's important to there's only one reason. Okay? Oh, I'll talk about all the myths. There's a lot of myths, but there's only one reason. There a person is abusive because they think they can. Yeah. That's it, right? Abusive behavior when we talk about intimate partner violence and domestic violence does not happen for mental health reasons. Yes, if someone has a severe mental illness and part of that mental illness manifests in aggressive behavior, that's separate, but that's rare. Most people who are abusive to their partners are mm-hmm. not suffering from disorders. Yeah. Right? It's easy see people want a reason to understand this and it's easy to blame something else than to blame the person, right? So it's not because of a mental health disorder. It's not because of alcohol and drugs. Again, I've heard this happen. No, 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 he's only like this when he drinks. Yeah. He's only yeah. like this. Well, maybe he's only a physically abusive when he drinks, but I can guarantee you when he's sober there are other tactics of abuse being used they don't yeah. realize it right yeah. Yeah. alcohol does not change a person's personality exactly. alcohol exactly. amplifies what's already there and impairs judgment so whereas when a person is sober they may be inhibited and not be abusive actively mm-hmm. it doesn't change who they are and doesn't cause someone to be abusive i i wish that i mean if there's a single takeaway which i hope that's not a single takeaway there's a lot of important information here but it's really really important to stop justifying bad behavior abusive behavior aggressive behavior and blaming things that are not to blame okay sure. people are abusive because they can people are abusive because society gives them permission to people are abusive because they are highly insecure so if i am insecure as a person and i and with someone who seems relatively confident i can't handle that i can't tolerate that that is not okay for me so i have to find a way to bring her down to a point where i can feel better about myself yeah yeah right I'm... that's what insecure people do they cannot tolerate other people being okay so they have to bring other people down to make themselves feel good about it. you see this happening in friendships too oh wow did you see so and so she's still doing this so mm-hmm. what let her do it net it's okay yeah. but it helps them to feel better about themselves when they say something negative about somebody else you hear mm-hmm. like neighbors gossiping about each other you hear friends talking about each other and you hear this happening in partners you have hear this happening in workplaces yeah. right because insecurity is loud people feel the need to show how good they are or how bad someone else is because it makes yeah. them feel better yeah i feel like so many times you know when people want to kind of stand their ground or like kind of show that they're good at something they can never do it like just they can never say that oh yeah i'm good at this it's always like i'm good at this and i'm better than so and so you yes. know assuming someone is doing the same thing as them like let's say you're in a college together and you know you're good at studies or getting good uh. grades there's always a bar of comparison like okay yes. i beat this person yeah and i yeah. feel that comes out of a place of insecurities like yeah said, absolutely you know? and that insecurity probably got established in childhood somehow because Yeah. they were put down or they were abused themselves or they were always compared to other people see what so and so is doing see what so and that creates those it plants those seeds of insecurity then that get that get nurtured over time mm-hmm. right yeah yeah and also like one more thing that i've noticed so much i don't know if you watch a lot of these sports movies like you know melka singh or like dhoni and all these movies uh-huh. but it's so like they keep doing it like keep showing it in these movies is that whenever the cricketer has to or like the player the athlete has uh-huh. to focus on their sport uh-huh. they for some reason will shut off themselves from like uh, the girls in their life uh-huh. they are like uh, in dhoni you know he's like I- i'm not going to be talking to you for like you know because i'm on national duty i need to focus uh-huh. what i don't understand is like why is only the girl the distraction you're talking to your mom you're talking to your parents you're talking to your friends uh, uh, why is it that specifically the one I think, romantic i mean i'm not an expert on on this but from what i've understood it's that usually that the idea that that energy that sexual energy or that romantic energy if it gets sort of channelized towards the person then they're not going to have that energy to give to the sport i i've heard of a lot of athletes doing this where they don't sort of engage in either sexual activity or with their partners before mm-hmm. a big game or a big match so that they can channelize that energy into the sport itself probably but i don't know i, I probably I, i i just don't agree with the fact that you know they have to be distant from their 
vibes for like yeah, yeah, two yeah. weeks and all yeah. of that. It just doesn't, you know, hit yeah. right because like. But I mean, I can't speak with any authority really on that because I'm not really sure of how that uh, works or why that works. But yeah, but I, I wanted to say that I, I, I don't want to forget talking about how to help someone who's being who's in an abusive relationship because I think that's a really, really yeah, important uh, thing. Before we get into that, just another yeah. thing I want to add is yeah. that you know a lot of people blame blame karma for domestic violence. Like, ah. I, I'll see it a lot. Like you know, uh, let's say for for example, the husband beats his wife. and he'll follow huh. up by saying that oh you deserved it you know it's because of your bad sins is this huh. is happening to you huh. we see it a lot in the movies as well yeah and i feel that's so rubbish because like you, it's like giving people like other people kind of a pass it it shouldn't be okay people it, it should never think of this as a pass but i'm just saying that a lot of people who are influenced by media they yeah. kind of take this as a pass to uh, model the same behavior you know yeah okay so uh, I, I want to come back to the karma thing, but I want to talk about media uh, really quickly. I think uh-huh. media media is does a terrible job with regards to domestic violence and dynamics of in, uh, intimate partner violence by glorifying really, really unhealthy and abusive behaviors like stalking, like yeah. unrealistic expectations, like victim blaming for the for the man's bad behavior. Uh, I think it's terrible. terrible mm-hmm. and and there's a it's a, not even terrible sorry that's it's irresponsible mm-hmm. uh, because what happens is in in seeing it glorified in media it's like accepted as correct or it's accepted you know as like ha huh, see this is right so uh, so many movies show men stalking women because they love them so much or they want mm-hmm. them they show um men harassing women as a sign of love it's not love love should not be abusive in any way <laughs> love yeah. is not abuse abuse yeah. is not love and we cannot keep confusing it with that right we cannot like oh well if you really love me then you'd have sex with me no that's called coercion that's mm-hmm. not love and coercion is a part of an abusive tactic so yeah. it's really really important to have people remember that i don't owe my partner anything if my partner genuinely cares for me they will show me respect yeah you know and not buy into so much of what is sold in music videos in movies in all, all sorts of all sorts of forms of media even social media mm-hmm. right like there was one thing that was going around on tiktok where a, a guy was like ripping off a girl's sh- shirts by saying see how much when someone loves you look how much they'll let you get away with or something like that Mm-hmm. That's not love. Anyone who humiliates you and then tries to brush it off as oh I was just joking, that's mm-hmm. not love. Yeah. In love, yeah. there is no humiliation. In love, there is no abuse. In love, mm-hmm. there is no harassment and stalking. There is no mm-hmm. withholding of emotion, right? And and um, and I think people really need to understand what are healthy dynamics of love or healthy dynamics of relationships. Yeah, I feel like media takes the, you know, like a lot of times, you know, some people may not like say two people who are in a romantic relationship probably mm-hmm. did not like each other before and then you know they kind of started liking each other and got in a relationship or whatever. I think mm-hmm. media takes that to another level, you know, how you spoke about mm-hmm. people harassing the girl yeah. and that is showing another sign of love. Yeah. I feel like that's that's not right because Yeah. Okay, we like I, I'm old enough, probably people oh, 14, 15 years upwards old enough to understand, but like I think children below the age of that they are not like really wise enough to understand that these things are wrong and they're going to grow up, you know, probably thinking that these things are right because they're watching it on Uh, in cinemas or on television uh-huh. and for them these people are you know heroes i mean well, of course yeah so yeah yeah absolutely uh, well first of all i want to yeah. say that they should not be accessing media that is not age appropriate that's one yeah. thing yeah. secondly i don't think 14 year olds and 15 year olds are always able to discern the difference even mm-hmm. 25 year olds or 35 year olds don't right yeah. so yeah. it's it's not it's about like if i'm going to be abusive i'm going to say well see so and so did it so it's fine See, mm-hmm. convenience of excuses is always there. Yeah. But we can choose differently. We can say, "Oh my god, that's a total crap movie." Like people went crazy over that Kabir Singh movie, right? Oh yeah. And it was it was like textbook case of unhealthy abusive relationships. Mhm. Right? Yeah. And people were like, "Oh my god, how romantic. Look how much he loves her." What nonsense. 
Mm-hmm. That's not love, right? Yeah. Um, and then going back to your, your karma thing, I think people want, if I'm being abusive, I'm looking for, so I'm going to say, well, it's karma. Karma yeah. is used as long as it's convenient for people. Yeah. Right? Karma is used when people get sick. Oh, it's your karma. What nonsense. Mm-hmm. It's not getting cancer because they have bad karma. Yeah. So I think we need to use our brains and use logic. Mm, very difficult in India though. <laughs> not for everyone. Let's not paint everyone with such a broad brush. Yeah. <laughs> I have hope for people. Um, uh, but I want to just say, I know we're, we're running long on time. I just want to mm-hmm. talk about um, how to help someone who's in an abusive relationship. So first, it's by not engaging in victim blaming. Don't mm-hmm. ask what did they do to provoke the abuser or don't suggest that they should do less of something to not provoke them or do more of this, you know, be more supportive, be more understanding. Don't nag so much. Nope. That's not, that's not the right thing to do. Instead of judging, try being supportive and showing compassion. Okay. Second is by telling them by, by understanding that telling them what they should do is not helpful. If, if someone is in a, a relationship where they're being controlled and told what to do all the time, having a friend, tell them what to do under the guise of help is also not helpful, right? Yeah. They don't need that. They don't need more of that. Okay. Mm-hmm. And also I would say that, you know, don't assume you know for them because mm-hmm. you're seeing it from the outside perspective. You don't know what it's like for that person to be in it. Third, instead of the instinct to say, do this, don't do this. Why are you doing this? Don't do it like this. Stop and ask them what they need. Do they feel safe? What did they want to do in this situation? What do they want you to do to help them in this situation? Don't mm-hmm. assume you know, yeah. right? And also understand that leaving the situation may not be the best thing for them right now. There are ways to support somebody who chooses because right now it's what they need to do. When someone chooses to stay in an abusive relationship, it's not because they like it. It's really, really important that we understand this. Nobody likes to be abused. Oh yeah, there are some women that love to be dominated and somebody who loves to be hurt. Nope, that's bullshit. I don't know anyone in 20 years that I've worked with that says, yeah, I like it when he does that. Mm-hmm. Nobody does, right? They're mm-hmm. staying because they feel like they don't have a choice. They're staying because they don't have the resources. They're staying because they're scared. They're staying because they don't feel good about themselves. There's a lot of reason why it's difficult to leave. And yeah. we cannot assume to know better than the person themselves. Completely agree with you. Right? So, yeah. and also the, the, other, the last thing I would say is you can offer to get them help because... Yeah. Friends and family are not the best places to get help, right? They have their own subjective views on this. They are yeah. not objective and they cannot be objective. So getting professional help, getting someone that actually understands what this is about and getting them the support to start building up confidence, start helping them to see that this is actually abusive. That's what's important. Right. That was quite a good episode. I yeah. learned a lot from it. Yeah. Honestly, that was a lot. lot. My God, we're at 80 minutes already. Minutes, oh, yeah. So... Thank you, Ami, for being with us. Yeah, know. sure. Uh, honestly, I'm, every to, episode, I'm glad that we finally yeah. got a chance to do this. But yeah, you know, honestly, every episode I do with you, I feel like, you know, we can't go any better. But then the next episode, you, you just do it better. So That's I so think, sweet. And to everyone who's listening to thank you for listening. And I'll see you in the next episode.